Hey, Michael here. Welcome to the world's greatest show about small business M&A, um, Acquisitions Anonymous. So Bill and I had a great time today. We talked about two deals that we found fascinating uh, that are currently on the market. One is a gigantic chain of um, environmental aquarium centers uh, that are located in malls across the United States that is planning on doing $250 million in revenue a year uh, just five years from now. And they are looking for a capital partner or sell the business. And the second deal we did was super fun. Uh, it is a European compliance software package uh, out of Switzerland uh, that is perhaps one of the most unattractive deals I've ever looked at. Uh, and so we spent some time acknowledging and digging into that one. Um, so me and Bill had a great time. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode as much as we did making it. And we'll get right into the deals after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, Michael here. Today's sponsor is Pioneer Capital Advisory. They're a new sponsor for the show uh, and super honored that they're supporting us. So um, what they do is they're a full service SBA loan consulting business and they have relationships with different SBA lenders uh, in the space. Um, they cost nothing to you as a, uh, as a borrower, as a buyer, uh, and instead they connect you to these banks. Um, and they take you through those steps of application. It costs nothing for you as the business owner or, or buyer. Um, so really, they act as a concierge to the business owner. And you can really outsource a lot of the work required to to arrange SBA financing uh, to Matias and his team uh, there at Pioneer Capital Advisory. Um, so if you're taking a look at SBA as a potential for you and you want somebody to help you through that process uh, and be fully aligned with you in it, um, we definitely recommend giving Matias a call. Um, or an email, and you can find him at Matthias, M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S dot Smith at PioneerCapitalAdvisory.com. And again, thanks to Pioneer Capital Advisory. You can find them at PioneerCapitalAdvisory.com. Uh, and for anybody pursuing an SBA loan, uh, definitely a good option for you. Um, reach out to them. Thanks. All right. Well, hey, Bill, I'm in Montreal. So that means we're going to have to do this whole episode in French. Are you ready? Oh, totally. I know a ton of French. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious because, you know, we I'm here with my son and my wife and uh, we go we go around and they're just like, Dad, your accent is terrible. And I'm like, well, get your ass up there and you do the talking then. And they're like, no, no, no. We just want to critique your accent. We just don't think your accent is appropriate. You don't say monsieur appropriately. I'm like, well, then you get up there. And they don't. So anyway, that's how that's going. So we have two amazing deals today. And you're going to do the first one. You're doing the uh, aquarium to start with? Yeah. All right. I'll pull this one up. It's badass. This is really cool. So this one, if you're not signed up for Michael's one interesting deal newsletter, you should definitely hop on it. Uh, we'll link it in the show notes. But this was sent out to the one interesting deal uh, list about a month ago. It was a fascinating one. Um, so located inside of shopping malls. This is a chain of 13 conservation-centric nature and aquarium centers for sale or investment. Where else can you swim with a stingray and then pet a porcupine? Well, these people have figured it out. Here's a note from the broker. Project By the way, I, not to interrupt you, but I want the record to show I wrote those three sentences. These people should pay me to write their teasers. So there go you ahead. go. Go ahead. <laughs> just don't, Michael, when you become a business broker, just don't take a photo with a hat or touching your face. Just remember that. Okay. <laughs> Count on me. 
Um, so here's a note from the broker. I'm really introduced to Insighted about Project Water. It is one of the most impactful animal rescue and environmental conservation land and sea adventure companies in the world. The company gives individuals and families the opportunity to experience over a thousand animals from all oceans and five continents with activities like snorkeling with skin ray, stingrays, interactions with sloths, sharks, otters, reptiles, porcupines, among many others, facilitated by knowledgeable team members. Each of the 13 locations throughout the United States Water's mission is to rescue animals and educate families about the environment and conservation. Malls are clamoring for more locations. Their 2022 revenue and EBITDA is expected to be 62 million and 16 million, respectively. Whoa. A strong equity partner will help the company accelerate this vision. Um, So they're really focused on conservation. If I just kind of look at their trailing financials, which uh, we have on YouTube here, if you guys want to see them. Um, they have 13 locations. They have scaled in 2018. They were doing 19 million in sales and a million bucks of EBITDA. LTM, March 2022, they're up to 50 million in sales and 12 million in EBITDA. Um, and they are projecting by the end of 2022 to be 62 million in sales and 16 million in EBITDA. Their revenue mix comes about 16 or about 56% from daily admissions, about 15% from token sales. They do 9% in the gift shop, 6% in attraction admissions, and 14% other. Um, So what's interesting is like, this is, I guess, a mall attraction that malls want to have to get people into the mall. It's like a SeaWorld slash Nature Museum in a mall, right, Michael? Yeah, That's, that's the way I read it. Yeah, I mean, this is fascinating. So there's 13 of them. They're doing, uh, I mean, if you just kind of average it out, 16 million of EBITDA, 13 locations, they're doing a little over a million bucks of EBITDA each. Michael, what do you think about this one? Uh, dude, I love fish. Mostly eating them, <laughs> but also swimming with them sounds good. I have some questions. Um, I mean, number one really interesting to me is, you know, they have this huge growth projected, right? If you look here, you talk through these numbers, Bill, they started at, in, at 19 million in revenue in 2018. Then they are going to be at 49.6 million in the last 12 months. And then they show themselves getting to a quarter billion in revenue by 2026, like this amazing hockey stick growth. And if this was a software company, I would be very excited about this growth. But this makes me wonder, like, what's the cost for all this? How many more of these kind of, you know, the sites are you having to build in order to reach these numbers? Because, I mean, this looks like a lot of capital investment is going to be required to keep this thing growing this fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, the question, too, is, I mean, so they got 13 of them. Um, I assume that some of these are going to be like not every mall can take one of these things. Right. You need sort of like a high quality mall, like with enough foot traffic, big enough, et cetera. So my question is, how many of these you got to open to get to get to their 2026 projection of 250 million in sales? And are there enough malls that want one? And how much CapEx does that take? Does the mall split it with you? You know, how much does the mall care that you're here? You know, build the build out is not nothing, as you said. Yeah, I have talked to you know one of the big mall REITs before about how stuff like this works, um, and I'm not not an expert in it, but they were very clear that they the way they want to set up something like this is the mall owner knows they have the place where you have to be for something like this. Like, there's one mall in San Antonio where you would put one of these, and there happens to be one. Um, but, but that allows the mall owner who owns this trophy property to come in to that potential tenant and say, we know you have to be here. Uh, here's the way the lease works. It's the greater of these two numbers, 15% of the gross or this number, 
So it's a heads I win, tails you lose situation, um, which, you know, when you have a business like this, that is a huge CapEx, huge fixed expense, and then you're, you're going to make great money if you overperform and you're going to get murdered if you don't hit your minimum number required to support the operations, it gives you a lot of risk as an owner that you can swing to, you know, negative cash flow very quickly in a situation with one of these. Yep. This is going to be entirely the balance of power between the tenant and the landlord, because you can't exactly pick up and move all of your aquarium tanks and your sea ra- your stingrays like across town uh, because I'm <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, screw you, we're leaving. Like, okay, you have $5 million of CapEx in your new location. Good luck. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's pretty tied in. The other thing is you mentioned like there's one in San Antonio. I would bet like if you're the type of mall that wants one of these, you probably also want the company to agree not to open more within so many miles, right? That you want it to be kind of a a unique attraction. So again, maybe that's not bad, but like you're definitely getting into bed with whatever malls you're in and you really want to understand your leases and your terms and your renewals. And and then also say like, there's an upper bound to the number of these you can put in the United States. Uh, And where is that? And is, are you okay with that as a cap on your growth? It might be much more than 60 million in revenue, but still. Yeah. The other thing I'd want to dig into here, they have a good location breakdown of visits per week per location. So location one has 4,100 visits on average per week. But let's say if you look at location number eight, which is their weakest location, that has 1,531 visits per week. So I assume it still costs the same amount to feed a stingray. Um, no matter how many guests you get, which is kind of the problem with this thing. And I would be very curious how much their projections and their actual is two or three of the locations generating almost all the profits and the other ones maybe even being close to money losers. Um, And that happens a lot in retail, as you know, like you end up with this very power law distribution where you have a hundred locations, but it turns out 10 of them generate 90% of your profits. I would be very curious what's going on when you kind of dig into the portfolio here. And it's telling when you look at location 11, 12, and 13, notice they're projecting them to be the three of the four highest performing stores for the next three they're building. It's like, of course, of course. (laughs) Is that the way this works? Yeah. And the, the thing that's also interesting that I don't know the answer to, but I would be curious about you know, when you think of something like SeaWorld, right? SeaWorld is a tourist attraction. Like you will fly there and go to SeaWorld and spend a day at SeaWorld and people will come from all over and your total addressable audience is like all tourists in the United right. States. You put a Stingray exhibit in the San Antonio mall, like Michael, you live in San Antonio, like you might go once, but you're probably not going to go like every year to the San Antonio mall Stingray exhibit and like pay to feed the Stingrays and walk through and all that stuff. Right. So I would wonder, like, this company is relatively young, I think. But so my question is, can you rely on your locations that are good to stay good? Or yeah. is this the type of thing that kind of gradually falls off amongst the locals, you know, and before you, and if it falls off amongst the locals and that it's not driving traffic to the mall, all of a sudden your landlord hates you and you have a huge problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, l- l- let me give you the, the bull case for this. I think there are, um, there are a lot of tailwinds for a business like this. And I think if you look at a market like San Antonio, for example, it's, it's interesting because San Antonio has the number one and number two biggest tourist destinations in the state of Texas. 
but our airport is like way underperforming. And you ask yourself, like, why is that? And it's because a place like San Antonio, which has the Alamo and the Riverwalk, the number one and t- number two destinations in the state, um, those are drive-in type folks, right? And you go through downtown San Antonio and it is all budget hotels. Like, will there be a grand opening of some apartment building? Three months later, it's a budget hotel, like over and over again. It's because this drive-in market with kids, they come in and they're just like insatiable for stuff like this. Um, and my anecdote, I tell people that my office in San Antonio is by the zoo, which is one of the best zoos in the country uh, in San Antonio. But we literally had like three miles of cars trying to get into the zoo during spring break because all these people were driving in. So actually, I think there's a ton of tailwinds with this business because you're going to have situations where the people who were flying to Orlando are looking up and being like, oh, it's 800 bucks a ticket for me to get to Orlando. Man, I'm just going to drive to San Antonio or I'm going to drive to Houston instead. And I think these type these type things are going to benefit a lot from what's going on right now, especially with air travel. That that's a great flip side. It's a local attraction, and maybe there's enough locals that you know you could keep them entertained for years before you've churned through all the locals and the drive-ins. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a question for me. Without knowing what this is, like, is this the type of thing that you would go to if you were not going to the mall anyway? Like, is this a standalone attraction? Or is this going to be specifically like I'm at the mall, like I'll pop in or like I'll choose to go to this mall rather than that mall, et cetera, because it has. it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we were kind of circling around the drain of the idea on this that potentially there's a lot of upside, especially the thing keeps doing well. You have high fixed costs, but once you exceed those, like every other customer coming in is gravy. Um, but the downside is pretty significant here, right? You have a lot of risk, like you were talking about, Bill, the the SeaWorld risk, if you do the Shamu problem and people decide you're not the right thing or, um, you know, you just end up with this fixed cost problem where you can go negative just super duper fast. Yeah, this is the type of thing that scare. I mean, after everything SeaWorld's gone through, I don't know if you guys saw, you know, they were accused of abusing the animals like now, like you can't go to SeaWorld without being a bad person on the Internet, like, et cetera. I don't know if it's how much has impacted their business, but like you kind of run the risk here. You got all these animals in all these different malls. Being, you know, there's just a lot of ways this could go wrong. And like one stingray dies the wrong way and you get canceled. Yeah. That's a little scary to me. Yeah. So you got to worry about for sure these landlords trying to capture the value. Um, you got to deal with. And the, to me, I think the other thing we haven't talked enough about is just if you want to keep growing a business like this, the CapEx is enormous. Right, you got to keep building new places or find somebody to, to fund it for you. And to some extent, I think that's why when you look at this listing, the people don't really want to sell the business. Um, they actually, it says here pretty clearly that a strong equity partner will help the company accelerate this vision. That is code for me for we want more capital to grow more quickly and we have this big vision, which, man, more power to them. I think a PE firm with some sort of experience in this type of, you know, the entertainment space, like should totally dig into this deal. And maybe they already did. Yeah. Very interesting one. All right. Let's do the next one. The next one's pretty cool too. This is a, this is a girdly special. All right. Well, it's from our friends at our favorite site, MicroAcquire. So um, I found this one this morning looking around. The title for this one uh, is a scalable SaaS startup. So a scalable software as a service startup with disruptive solution for a growing industry, a billion dollar opportunity. Um, Interesting thing. The first thing I notice here when I look at this is the person who wrote this um, description here is not a first English speaker. 
So that is something for us to just kind of think about. Um, they are asking $2 million for the business, uh, and it is an 8.7 times revenue multiple. Company was founded in 2016 with a startup size of three, uh, and they have between 10 and 100 customers. And here, this explains the English. Um, English thing I just noticed, the SaaS startup is from Switzerland. Um, so the description is, it is a scalable, mobile-first, self-funded compliance software SaaS with customers' growth, revenue, and profits. It's so funny, Bill, that those are like uh, unique features these days. <laughs> so, yeah. We're a software product. This is actually a business too. Congratulations to us. Yeah. Um, so profitable SaaS with 230000 in trailing 12 months revenue and 30000 a month. $30,000 in total profits. So 230,000 in revenue, 30,000 in profits over the past 12 months. They enable subject matter experts, so SMEs and corporates to instantly implement compliance programs irrespective of size, industry or geography. We disrupt an industry led by large incumbents with deep pockets so we expect an acquisition this year. So, okay, that's kind of the first thing that Whatever that means. <laughs> uh, if you expect to sell to some big strategic this year, why are you um, on microquare. So anyway, it is what it is. Um, they did 20,000 in revenue last month. So they appear to be growing slightly. Um, and they are profitable and their competitors are EQS group, AG, Navex, one trust and GAN integrity. Um, so let me pull up one of those here on the old YouTube and we can see kind of what they do. That's one of the best ways to understand this stuff. I looked at it, Michael, while you were reading, I pulled up a couple of these. This whole industry appears to be like one of these buzzword salads. Uh, it like maintain a more resilient business, design a stronger, more ethical workplace culture, a comprehensive suite of ethics and regulatory compliance software aligned with national and international regulations, guidance, and directives. Uh, it's just a lot of that. Build ESG principles into the way that you do business. It's there. There is this whole kind of circle of and there there's another word that goes with that but this whole circle where it's like a group of people get together and create some sort of like standard that we're all going to follow and i understand why we need those when there's rockets or healthcare or whatever involved in our airplanes and then there's a whole nother people that show up afterwards to create like the software to help you to comply with them it's just like the most bizarre kind of merry-go-round of stuff yep so this as you, we've got it up on the YouTube, we're looking, Michael's looking at one called one trust now, and it, it looks like some of it's around, I would guess this is sort of like workflow management around, like, are you protecting your data the right way? Have you asked all of your suppliers, whether they comply with human trafficking guidelines? Yeah. Uh, you know, like all of that's like a workflow management around that. Um, you know, are you getting consents from people? You know, obviously all of these websites have a, the huge, uh, allow all cookies pop up on the bottom, yeah, which, which I, is only I, appropriate for compliance. I will software. definitely do that. Give me all the cookies guys. I'm cool with it. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess my question for you, Michael is, so this is a small business, right? It's $30,000 in EBITDA. Um, of course they want, you know, millions of dollars for it. So I think the valuation may be a lot. Uh, this this kind of strikes me as one of these classic positionings where they say we're itty bitty, and we compete in this big industry that sells into enterprise clients, and so we are going to disrupt that. Is that plausible, or is that always bullshit? Uh, it it potentially is bullshit, but it's also potentially plausible. The times I like something like that are when somebody can come in with a micro something. 
and say, we're going to do this big world of, let's say, CRM, customer relationship management. And you say, okay, we're going to do CRMs just for this little niche and this little use case, right? You say, for example, we're going to do CRMs just for plumbers that are in Topeka. And that's an extreme example. But like, if you can get to a defensible thing like that, you can start to build features for them and it can start to be much more interesting. Or you say, I'm going to do GDPR compliance just for companies in Switzerland because they have this specific thing. That becomes an interesting thing. But, you know, software, unfortunately, is a situation where the the weak stay weak and the strong get stronger by nature, right? Because it doesn't cost you more to copy Salesforce one more time and sell it to another person. But each time you add a customer that gives you more money to make Salesforce better and you can you have this kind of snowballing of like comparative advantage. And so little guys like this, you're either you're either doing one of two things when you buy a company like this. One, you're milking out the revenue stream and just letting it run out because, you know, you know, someday you're going to get squashed by one trust or one of these bigger guys or you found a niche that's defensible and at least looking at this right now, it's not really clear what their defensible niche or use case is. It looks like it's just another Me Too product that has, you know, a very uncertain, if not, not good future. So one thing it does say here under growth opportunity on the micro listing is it says, uh, our solution is distinctive as it offers the only mobile first solution to solve the last mile problem, which means reaching non-office workers, a large challenge for companies like FedEx, Walmart, Gap, et cetera. We are different. Our mobile solutions offer instant access to compliance policies, training, hotline, et cetera, along with real-time tracking. And our competitors only are desktop functional, uh, which is not sufficient to meet requirements under U.S. federal sentencing guidelines uh, in terms of easy access and usage tracking. We were two weeks from an exit to our competitor in 2021, but the acquirer itself was acquired just before the deal and it fell apart. Uh, this is a billion dollar opportunity as only an estimated 1% of companies are, have mobile policies and you know are ready for that. This needs to change. Uh, and we have technology that lets you do that. I thought it was interesting context. That being said, this reads to me like they're saying the big competitors don't have mobile apps and they have a mobile app. So maybe they get acquired. It's like a buy instead of build thing. And one trust rebrands it as their mobile app. Or maybe OneTrust comes out with their mobile app and this business is defunct. Yeah. I mean, there are all, there are a million solutions for, you know, to solve problem for taking a desktop app and making it mobile first. And it can be kludgy, but it, it works, right? And everybody from Amazon to other, other folks have this, um, that it's pretty straightforward and pretty easy to do. So I don't think that having a mobile first solution, unless there's something special that is a dynamic here that I just don't understand. That's not a sustainable competitive advantage. Like you're, you're potentially going to do, they're going to do exactly what you said, right? They're either going to buy you. Your best case here is they'll buy you as a team and then you'll be the team to come in and mobile first, what they're already doing. Um, or they just slowly get to the market and do it themselves. And that's the problem kind of with, with, if you think about like software selling B2B, you have two options, right? You're either stuff that, is a must-have that they have to buy and the ceo is in the room like okay what's the minimum we can spend on this thing that we have to check this box um or you're the thing that's helping the company grow more so like crms like are they an easy sale because they're helping the company grow more and you know you can grow inside of accounts pretty easily because the ceo says well if i invest more in the crm my people can sell more pretty straightforward compliance is exactly the opposite it's the thing where people are like the ceo's like how do we spend a bare minimum on this 
And um, it's rare that you're going to see a CEO or a CIO coming in and wanting to bet big money uh, on something like this. That's a checkbox item a lot of times when they're just, <laughs> it's not going to make any more money. It's not going to make their mission any better, whether they're mostly ISO 29001 compliant or fully, you know, 100% that way. And that, and that makes incumbent solutions extremely sticky because even if your product is literally 10 times better, they don't care because right now they're not thinking about it, right? It's like some peon in the compliance department's job to work this software. And in order to rip it out and re-implement the new one, it requires a cross-organizational effort that the CEO is going to have to pay attention to. And he's like, no, just go back in your hole and keep using the one that we already have. You know, that's a feature of our larger enterprise suite. Uh, and that's why, and that's the thing that worried me about this is this whole listing says we need to sell into companies like FedEx, Walmart, Gap, et cetera. Like these are big companies with really slow buying cycles and really, and I'm sure they got some solution already. This sounds like absolute murder to sell this product in. Uh, it would take forever. Rough. Well, here's, and here's the selling details. Um, I apologize for not reading the whole description. We're going to piecemeal people on this one, but selling details. I am founder of two other growing startups, and we believe that our product will reach its potential with a fully dedicated team, either independent or as part of our competitors. Um, so not only is this guy or person um, wanting to sell you their tiny little startup um, that they do a couple hundred thousand in revenue for eight times, uh, eight times revenue, thank you very much, uh, and do they only have a couple people on it? They also um, are working on other stuff. So you're not getting a complete team with this. You're going to have all these carve out issues. So in effect, the thing that this person is saying with this listing, unfortunately, is here's this Me Too product in a small market uh, that's very crowded. I want to sell it for eight times revenue, and I, I want you to take over my problems, which is, you know, I haven't been able to grow this thing, and I'm focused on other stuff. Like here, take it, take it over. Um, so yeah, this is just, this is just a non-starter. <laughs> this, this is one to check up in your, in, in your idea of, Hey, I need to look at a hundred different software companies before I actually make an offer on one. Uh, now we only have to do 99 more. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for us. And how, how many have we looked at in total on acquisitions anonymous? So we might be approaching the ability to buy one software company soon. We get there at some point. Yeah, this <laughs> is, uh, there's just so many things why I can see that this person wants to sell for eight times revenue. For eight times, I mean, geez, I want to sell for eight times revenue. I, I can't, it's hard to think of something that I don't want to sell for eight times revenue. Right. Well, and it's also, I think, highlights the difficulty with running, you know, a business like MicroAcquire, and they're really working hard on this, is you have guys like this who, to some extent, come in and pollute the platform a little bit, or any, any platform, biz by sell or whatever, um, because they just come in with these totally unrealistic time wasting kind of asks. Um, and it's it's sad. And the the tough part is when a guy like this who's delusional puts his on here is he's wasting his own time too. Like nobody's gonna pay pay this for this business. Or maybe they do. Maybe they maybe maybe there's a crazy person out there, but no sane person's gonna pay this for this business. I mean, is this business worth right? It's doing three thirty thousand dollars of EBITDA. Like, is it worth sixty thousand dollars? To a financial buyer, most maybe. I mean for me personally, in I mean, and we've talked about this before. There are some of these businesses that are such a at such a size and such a dynamic that you would have to pay me to take the business. It has negative enterprise value. This is one of those. Like this is just a bunch. You're buying somebody's problems. Um, 
So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to be meaner than that. We need, we need some sort of trademark. Like that's like the girdly poop right there. Like the huge dump. <laughs> we don't see it very often, but that's the huge dump. Folks. You have to pay me to take this. Yeah. It's pretty much. Yeah. Yep. This is negative enterprise value. Now, now, okay. Who, who should need this? Potentially there is a strategic out there who is most likely in Europe. I would be willing to guess that these people, most of their customers are in Europe. And there's a strategic out there somewhere in Europe that wants to be in this business and wants to kickstart their way into the market. And it's worth $2 million to them. More power to them. They should probably do this. To a financial buyer, this is an insane purchase. Absolutely insane. Right. Because you're basically buying a lottery ticket, which is that some strategic would come in and pay you a, a number that gets a return on your investment. Uh, yeah. Or the other lottery ticket I would do, I would just take the $2 million in cash. I would take 200 grand of it and I would go have a great weekend in Vegas. And then I would take the other 1.8 million of it. And I would go build three different lottery ticket software startups and hopefully sell one of those. That would all be better ideas than this one. <laughs> so, so that's my plan. All right. <laughs> Don't buy small SaaS companies for eight times sales, uh, especially with enterprise clients. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anything else to add on this one? No, other than that, I loved it. Oh, great. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Um, well, it, lest you think we uh, favor our sponsors around here, that is pretty solid poop on a microacquire deal. Thank you for sponsoring us, microacquire. We love microacquire. We love Andrew. We think microacquire is great. Somebody put this deal on microacquire. We don't think it's so great. <laughs> so, but definitely go to micro, definitely go to microacquire when you want to buy a business, especially a startup. Uh, those guys are great, and we appreciate them supporting the, the show. Other cool businesses on MicroWire. This is not one of the most attractive ones. Well, your case in point, you you sold a startup there. I mean, I think that's the that that was the thing that when I heard that story from you, I was like, man, this is fantastic. Like, I love these guys. I sold a startup for a six figure number in eleven days from listing to wire in my account. Blew my mind. Unbelievable. Do they buy teenagers? I've got like a teenager that can buy. <laughs> I think that's also falls into the negative EV category, Michael. You could pay me to take on your teenager if you want. <laughs> oh man! Well, yeah, there. And we're uh, right now. I got one who's at the age of complaining about everything. This food is too good. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, we will leave you to deal with that with your uh, your Canadian teenagers. Uh, <laughs> this, this wraps up another ex episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. We will see you guys next week. See ya.